Well, as we get closer and closer to a hopeful 2020 college football season, let's talk about breakout players for each team in the Big 12. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And before we get it rolling, guys, please take a quick moment and leave us a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us tremendously, and I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in return if you do that. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and uh, we'll get that koozie in the mail for you guys. Appreciate it. By the way, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about college football. I really am. We'll talk more about the fact that the Texas Longhorns have discussed having 50% capacity at games uh, this season. So that is a sign of optimism. When people don't want to give you that, they they just don't. But you know, one thing that's great about college football that I love about the sport, and I know that there's movement in every sport at the pro level and everything else. But in college, you know, you follow the recruiting class, right? And then you see who in that class exceeds expectations, who doesn't meet expectations, and guys graduate, go to the NFL. You bring in new guys, and to me, it's always uh, fun to find those diamonds in the rough and look for those guys who are supposed to be big contributors and, you know, guys who maybe come out of nowhere. I love that. So I want to go team by team in the Big 12 and just give you one guy that I think is really going to break out. And and a lot of this determines on your definition of breakout. So we're going to go in order alphabetically. Uh, let's start with the Baylor Bears, who I am going to go with Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver, who some of you may say, how is he a breakout player? He had 45 catches last year, 800 yards, five touchdowns. But he's not a guy that even a lot of Big 12 fans probably don't look at Tyquan Thornton as a household name. Yes, Baylor uh, fans obviously do, but a lot of guys don't uh, because he was behind Denzel Mims last year, Jalen Hurd a couple of years ago. And as Charlie Brewer looks for that next number one target, I think Thornton's his guy. And I think in that Larry Fedora offense, I think he's got a real chance to shine and, and be a star in this offense as Brewer goes into his uh, last and senior season with the Baylor Bears. And it's going to be tough to top that junior campaign uh, in terms of the success Baylor had on the field. And if they're going to do it, it's got to be because of what Brewer does in carrying this team a little bit more. He was good last year, but let's be honest, last year's Baylor team was carried by its defense Let's see if Brewer can carry them on the offensive side. All right, we go to Iowa State. The breakout player for the Cyclones is defensive tackle Latrell Bankston. So not sexy, but here's the thing. Iowa State's defense, uh, Ray Lima at defensive tackle did not get enough credit. He didn't pile up big stats, but he was a massive body at nose tackle, and he was very effective in allowing John Haycock to do a lot of different things uh, with that side of the ball. So he can be that replacement as he comes to Ames as a first-team Juco All-American. He has 63 tackles last year, 22 tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks. Six-foot, 300-pound guy, number three-ranked defensive tackle at the Juco level. And uh, I think he is going to be somebody who has a big year. And I'm excited to watch him here uh, under John Haycock's defense to see if he can replace Ray Lima. For the KU Jayhawks, safety Devon Ferguson. 
He came on late last season, and here's a KU team that's losing a lot of guys on that side of the ball, by the way. Uh, so someone's got to pick it up in the secondary. They lost a ton of production there, and Bryce Tornaden, Mike Lee, Hassan Defense, all gone out the door. Ferguson had at least five tackles in four of the last five games after not recording more than three tackles in a game in the first half of the season. So he's going to be one of many guys that have to step up and try to stop these high-octane Big 12 offenses. At K-State, tight end Briley Moore. I mean, it's Chris Kleiman, it's Kansas State. Your breakout player's got to be a tight end or a defensive end, right? Like, it's just got to be that way. So uh, Moore is a former Northern Iowa tight end who transferred to K-State earlier this offseason, and he was an FCS preseason All-America player, uh, at least a candidate before a season-ending injury in 2019. He now goes to K-State. He gives Skylar Thompson a weapon. And by the way, Skylar Thompson's got to break in a brand new offensive line, right? He's got to turn over the entire offensive line. Thank goodness you've got a senior quarterback. What does that mean, though? He may have to get that ball out of his hands a little faster than he might like, especially early in the season. That's where having a sure-handed tight end comes into play. In his last healthy season in 2018, Bradley Moore, 39 catches, 536 yards, and four touchdowns at Northern Iowa. And I think this is a guy that fits in beautifully with Chris Kleiman and that offense. And Skylar Thompson is going to find uh, a lot, a lot to do with him. At Oklahoma, wide receiver, right? You got to go with a wide receiver. Speaking of, uh, you know, the right match. Theo Weiss, CeeDee Lamb, out the door. Sayonara, see you later. Off to the NFL, joining the Dallas Cowboys. So OU had a great wide receiver class in 2019, and those guys uh, didn't make a huge impact last year because OU had plenty of guys. But now there's an opening for that top spot. I went with Theo Weiss. Eight receptions, 136 yards, two scores last year. But now it's time for him to step up. He was an Under Armour All-American, 11th-ranked overall prospect in the country by rivals. Number three wide receiver in the country by rivals. Number two recruit in Texas. This guy was a stud coming out of high school, and now it's his chance to step up. I could have gone Trajan Bridges. I, I could have done that for OU, but I decided to go with Weiss, um, and that's the direction I'm going there as we look to break out players for each Big 12 team in 2020. And for OU, you got to pick wide receiver, right? There's just no doubt about it. All right, Oklahoma State wide receiver as well, Langston Anderson. So think about it. Is Langston Anderson kind of going to be that next James Washington, Tylen Wallace guy? He can be. Now, I don't think he's going to be, you know, the number one wide receiver at Oklahoma State because you've got Tylen Wallace back, right? All-American capabilities. He's going to draw plenty of double teams. And there is depth behind him with guys like Dylan Stoner, Landon Wolf, Braden Johnson. But Anderson's a name that many people have no idea who he is outside of Stillwater. And he could become a major threat to other Big 12 teams as this season goes along. Redshirt freshman, um, last year or two years ago, I guess now, he had 1,100 receiving yards, 18 touchdowns at Heritage High School down in Texas. Uh, he was a top 100 player in the class of 2019, top 20 wide receiver prospect coming out of high school, and Oklahoma State churns him out at that position, and I expect Langston Anderson to be that next guy for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. 
Uh, Texas, let's also go wide receiver. Three straight wide receivers. How about Joshua Moore? He's back from a year-long suspension. Uh, 2018 actually got off to an okay start as a true freshman. But then he got bit by the injury bug, had the suspension last year. But this guy was a top 50 player overall in the country coming out of high school. Also a former state champion in the long jump in the state of Texas. Freakish athlete. Sam Ellinger's looking for guys on the outside with players like Colin Johnson out the door. So why not? In an offense led by Mike Yurisich, we saw what he did at Oklahoma State. He likes the deep ball. He likes the long ball. Why not pick a wide receiver in that spot and a guy who's got enormous upside, incredible athletic ability with a senior quarterback? I'm going wide receiver Joshua Moore. All right, at TCU, that's it for the wide receiver run. Uh, running back Zach Evans. TCU picked up Evans, of course, late in the recruiting process in the first five-star pickup ever at TCU. First five-star guy. Top 20 player nationally, number two running back in America. Um, and TCU does not have a star in the backfield. They need help for quarterback Max Duggan. The running game's got to stay balanced to improve this offense that has held this program back for two seasons. And I know that Zach Evans, you know, had a tumultuous uh, recruiting process, but still, a uh, guy is an enormous talent, and Gary Patterson will ground him. I believe that. At Texas Tech, linebacker Krishan Merriweather. Uh, Texas Tech, of course, lost a first-round NFL draft pick at linebacker in Jordan Brooks. And Merriweather, one of the players trying to fill that hole, he led the nation last year at the JUCO level in tackles was a second-team All-American at the JUCO level, 153 tackles in 11 games, 10 tackles for loss, three-and-a-half sacks, was ranked as the number five JUCO inside linebacker by 247 Sports. And if he can join Rico Jeffers as a nice one-two punch, then maybe, just maybe, uh, this Texas Tech defense can hold its own and Matt Wells can start to build something, but uh, Merriweather can play a big role in making that happen. And last but not least in breakout players in the Big 12, team by team at West Virginia, quarterback Jarrett Dagey. Now, some of you might say it's a cop-out. I don't think so. Dagey went 2-1 and one down the stretch, took over the job from Austin Kendall at quarterback. I know some people say that, oh, there's still a quarterback battle there. Dagey has got to be terrible in preseason camp for me to not give him that job after how this team fought with him, fought for him, and just the confidence that I saw from Daigie, the Bowling Green transfer coming in, command of the offense, leadership that you'd like at that position. I was so impressed by him considering the Mountaineers were really struggling when he took over uh, at quarterback at the end of last year. So I think Jared Daigie, by the end of the year, if things really click, he could be a top half of the Big 12's type of quarterback. And that would be a huge success for West Virginia in getting this program to the next level becoming bowl eligible, and rebuilding this thing with Neil Brown from the ground up. So there you have it, the uh, rundown of one breakout player for each Big 12 team heading into the 2020 season. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, Matthew Postens will join us to talk about COVID, its impact on the Big 12. It's coming up next.
We now say hello to Matthew Post, and you read him all the time on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Always great to have him on the show. Uh, Matthew, you are based down in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and uh, this week it actually came out the University of Texas says that it's planning for 50% capacity at football games with what is going on in the state right now surrounding COVID-19 from the high school level on up. Uh, what do you think we're looking at here? I I have a hard time believing that they're going to have 50% capacity at football games. I, I could see them doing 25%, but I have a hard time seeing that happening now, especially when earlier this week, uh, the University Interscholastic League, which governs athletics at the high school level, um, told all 5A and 6A schools, and these are the two biggest classifications in the state of Texas. Theoretically, these schools are in Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. It's a really big cities in the state of Texas. They told them that they're not going to be allowed to start practices. They'll be allowed to start practices on September 7th. They'll be allowed to start games on September 24th. High school football in Texas usually starts the last week in August, and the smaller schools will still be allowed to start on time, but the bigger schools are going to have to roll back a month. Theoretically, this gives these larger cities and larger schools more time to work through uh, the different issues with the coronavirus. The smaller cities in Texas have not had the issues that Dallas and Fort Worth and Austin and San Antonio and Houston have had. So, you know, given that UT is in Austin and that uh, – you know, most of the schools in, in Austin are 5A and 6A. I have a really hard time thinking they're going to have half capacity at uh, uh, the newly renamed field for Ricky Williams and Earl Campbell uh, on opening weekend. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And obviously, you know, when it comes to the Big 12 of the states that we're involved with, you're in the Dallas area, I'm in the Kansas City area. Um, your state is dealing with it, um, at least certain parts of the state, certainly dealing with it far more than we're dealing with it here in the Kansas City area, um, Oklahoma, somewhere in between, and then West Virginia and Iowa uh, lagging back a little bit. So it's good to get this perspective because people up in Ames or Morgantown are wondering what's going on down there, and it's a totally different ballgame. So how do you think Bob Bowlesby is sitting there right now trying to figure out how to put together a season considering he doesn't know what his non-conference looks like, the Pac-12, the Big Ten cancel, and what does he do with all the states he's got to cover? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because, you know, like you said, you know, Iowa's not dealing with what Texas is dealing with. And when you look at different conferences that have already canceled and say Division Three, Division Two, you know, and, and especially in those two, two particular, and even FCS, you know, around 10, 15 conferences have canceled and most of them fit a particular profile. They're either in the Northeast uh, or they're comprised of schools that really aren't that invested in football as, say, a money-making endeavor. You know, think Ivy League, uh, New England Small College, that sort of thing. Small liberal arts private schools that can kind of get away with not having athletics for the fall because it's not going to drive their revenue and it's not going to drive what their athletic departments do. These larger schools in FBS don't necessarily have that option because you look at the revenue that Texas generated. They generated $248 million in athletic revenue last year. Uh, Oklahoma was about 177 million. A big chunk of that is television money and football money, and that money supports all the other athletic programs within that uh, school. So he faces a much bigger challenge than say some of these other uh, conference commissioners because his conference is very far flung. It's in different parts of the country that are dealing with different 
types of coronavirus issues. And then he also has to deal with local authorities. I mean, if, if Austin goes into some sort of a lockdown in mid-August, nobody's going to be traveling in or out for non-essential. And I don't think that they're going to give football a waiver at that point. So mm-hmm. then do you have Texas play somewhere else, you know, so they can continue their season? There's a lot of logistics he has to work through. And uh, I think ultimately he's probably going to do away with non-conference. I think he's going to have to to give everybody more time to deal with this. Well, not only that, Matthew, but what do you do if, you know, Texas can play LSU, just as an example, but then Iowa State can't play Iowa? I mean, how do you how do you do this logistically, right? I mean, I don't think Texas would complain about playing LSU because, um, you know, there's a lot of TV dollars and eyeballs attached to it. But, I mean, it puts the conference in a very difficult spot now. Yeah, it, it does. And. Uh, Bob's going to face some very difficult decisions uh, moving on forward here in the next few weeks as to a, you know, canceling non-conference B letting schools do what they want. C having to deal with all these local officials who are trying to mitigate certain things and D dealing with different geographical areas that have different levels of issues. You know, what's happening in Texas is not what's happening in Iowa and you shouldn't necessarily punish Iowa state for what's happening in Texas right now. It's, it's a nightmare. Every conference commissioner is dealing with it. Uh, the machinations of the Big 12 are a little bit different because they have nine conference games. SEC and ACC only have eight, but they're all facing difficult decisions, and, and Bob's going to have to start making some pretty soon. Matthew Poston's joining us here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Uh, Matthew, you know, this was supposed to be the week that we were, well, I mean, months ago we thought we would be in Dallas together for Big 12 Media Days. Uh, then we thought we'd be doing some virtual stuff yesterday and, and earlier in the week. But now here we are. Uh, Big 12 Media Day has been pushed back to, I believe it's August 3rd, Monday, August 3rd. Do you think that there's anything to read into or is it just simply the conference would have not had any answers this week? So push it back and let the teams prepare a little bit more. Uh, I, I think that was part of it. But I think when you also look at the ACC was the last conference to decide to go virtual. And then they did it at the last minute and they needed time to plan. So they pushed their media days back. You know, Big 12 made this decision in May. Uh, If you go back and look at their decision-making process, they decided in May there was going to be a virtual media day. So to me, I think it's more about, like you said, them not having a lot of good answers for what's happening in the country right now. Uh, I can totally buy the fact that because, um, you know, it's been a much different off-season calendar, the coaches need a little more time with their players. But I, I also think for them, like everybody else, you know, when you see the Big Ten making decisions and the Pac-12 making decisions, everybody's making decisions in a way in which they can give everybody in these particular geographic areas a little more time to walk work through all this coronavirus uh, you know, try and get everybody to a point where by mid-September, you could have 25%, 30% capacity at a game and still play college football as safely as you could, uh, given everything that's happening. You know, all these decisions they've made, it's about buying time at this point. But mm-hmm. we get to early August, we get to mid-August, there, there's not going to be a whole lot more time to buy at that point. So uh, I, I think there's a couple of different reasons why they pushed it back, but I think ultimately they're trying to buy everybody a little bit more time to try to put themselves on a track where they can say in September, we think we'll be here, you know, lower than we are now in terms of the coronavirus cases 
in our particular geographic areas. And we think based on that, we can play football in September. Matthew, let's uh, get to on the field here for the last couple of minutes. Uh, our Big 12 polls, we released our all Big 12 team last week, the polling out as well. Uh, let's go through your poll. You had OU at the top of the conference, followed by Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, and TCU, followed by Baylor, K-State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas. Uh, you picking Iowa State in the second slot behind OU. How would you come to that decision? Uh, I just really like what they have on the offensive side of the field this year. Uh, they've got some great talent there. They've got some they've got some areas on defense they have to, to, to fill up. But I really feel like what Matt Campbell's been building there for the past few years, I feel like it's going to come to fruition this year. You know, Purdy is the best quarterback he's had since he's been there, in my opinion. Uh, he's got great talent around him. Uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of uh, playmaking on the offensive side of the football. And if you're going to keep up in this conference, if you're going to keep up with Oklahoma, if you're going to keep up with Texas and all these other schools, you've got to be able to score points. And I think Iowa State's finally at a point where consistently they could do that, you know, 30, 35, 40 points a game. Matthew Poston's joining us on the show. Matthew, always great to have you on. Appreciate the insight and the perspective as always. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Matthew Poston's on the show. Always great to have him on. And coming up, some final thoughts, some good news for you from the Big 12 perspective. We'll tell you about it coming up next on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, I want to end the show on some uh, good news here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet um baylor athletic director yes the baylor athletic director mac rhodes he is saying a 50 to 75 percent chance that the big 12 plays 12 games this year that is all i mean thank goodness thank you mac rhodes yes he said it to sikkim 365 this week and I, who else is is reporting this type of good news this is outstanding news by the way outstanding news so while the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are like, yeah, conference only, sorry. Uh, because, yeah, Iowa and Iowa State can't play, but Iowa can play Rutgers or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you've got Baylor and the Big 12 being, it looks like, pretty damn smart about this whole thing. And I appreciate that. I respect that out of them. And, yes, it means they're going to have to fill some holes. I talked last week about, like, BYU maybe filling some holes in the Big 12 schedule. With like Oklahoma State supposed to play Oregon State, TCU, Cal, uh, things along those lines, that may be possible. But the fact that the Big 12 is talking about it is a good thing, a great thing. I'm excited about this. It's awesome. And you've got the Texas Longhorns talking about 50% capacity at football games this year. Chris Del Conte sending out an email saying that their goal is 50% capacity, which would mean about 50,000 people. Uh, in their home games. Now, considering, yes, Texas is dealing with a spike of COVID, there's no doubt about that, uh, this is a good thing. It's a good thing that the plans are underway. Now, if it's proven that it can't be possible, okay, have that conversation. But planning for optimism is not a bad thing and should not be frowned upon in a case like this. It should not be. So I'm all on board with it. I think it's uh, great news for the conference. And I hope that it holds. You know, there's no way of knowing for sure what's going to happen. But I hope that it does hold. Now, at the high school level, not sure if you saw this, 
But um, Texas is delaying 5A and 6A high school football. Matthew Poston's talked a little bit about this earlier. But it tells me that, okay, high school football is going to play. A little delayed, but it's going to play. Uh, basically, the low levels, 4A on down, going to have a normal season. 5A and 6A, where the bigger schools are and the bigger cities are, obviously, will be delayed. They're all going to play. The NFL is going to play without a preseason. How is college football at this point not going to play, right? I mean, how, how are you going to make that justification today based on what we know? I think that's going to be very difficult to do. So I'm, I'm encouraged by all the signs that we're seeing here uh, from the high school level up to the Big 12 level, from Mac Rhodes to the NFL level. I think it's all uh, optimistic, and I'm encouraged by all of it. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So I just wanted to end on a little bit of a high note here for you. And one thing that's being talked about, by the way, if you're a West Virginia fan, so they're playing in the opening season uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl kickoff event where West Virginia takes on Florida State, and then it's uh, Georgia, Virginia, and Auburn, North Carolina. So uh, no idea what's going to happen with those games, but there's been some chatter per ESPN of moving those games around because the Big Ten and the Pac-12, of course, have canceled. The ACC might not be far behind when we talk about non-conference games. So there's a possibility of maybe pairing West Virginia against Virginia on the football side of things if they can't get that game done against Florida State, depending on what the ACC decides to do. Because the ACC, like Florida State, might say, we're okay, don't worry about us, like, you know, we'll handle things here in Tallahassee. But the ACC also includes, of course, uh, Boston College, up in the Northeast, uh, Syracuse. So there are other places there that obviously are maybe dealing with it a little bit worse than, say, Tallahassee, Florida, or some of the other towns, you know, Clemson, South Carolina. So it's it's just dependent on where you are, Um on the geographical map and how bad COVID has hit your community. So I would prefer to see West Virginia play Florida state. I know it's not Florida state from its peak under Jimbo Fisher. It's a rebuilding team under Mike Norvell, but I'd rather see, you know, West Virginia play the blue blood than play UVA. Who's, you know, they've, they've had their moments here. They haven't been terrible as of late. Right. I, I, they haven't been terrible. So that's something that, you know, should be noted, should be talked about, should be considered. And, you kind of go from there. That's that's how it's got to uh, be viewed. Yeah, UVA, uh, just looked it up. They went 9-5 and five last year. Not too shabby. Although that one division in the uh, ACC is a joke. And I always forget, you got the Coastal. <laughs> you got the Coastal and the Atlantic, and I always forget who's in which division. I mean, it's like, can we just do north-south, east-west, I don't know, something like that? Uh, the ACC, it's like the Big Ten did what? The, the Legends and something else division for a little bit when they went to 14 teams. That was so dumb. West, East, North, South, make it easy on us, all right? I mean, geez. Unless you're a diehard ACC football fan, which if you're a diehard ACC football fan, not basketball, but if you're a diehard ACC football fan, that's on you. You, 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 you got to find something to do with your time, all right? ACC football, eh, outside of Clemson, not much there. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Have a, a great week. Enjoy it. And we'll be back with you next week. Same time, same place on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. And please, guys, take a moment out. Leave us that rating and review. Subscribe. If you do it, we'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. 
Send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will get the koozie and the mail for you guys. Appreciate it. Have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.